Lean Cast, Product Innovation and UX Design with Bonanza Design. What's up, everyone? Behrad here from Bonanza Design. It's another episode of Lean Cast. I'm here with Alex Tapunt. He is a VP of Design and Brand at Moonfer the leading private equity fintech platform in Europe, if not in the world. I think it's getting closer. I'm really excited for this conversation. Alex has long years of managing and leading design teams. And spoiler alert is that I already had a conversation with him in the past few months, and I know he can go deep. So for all the design and product folks who's listening to this episode you are here for a treat alex is one of those folks that who can articulate his ideas very well so i wanted this to be a free floating conversation between me and alex and uh, i'm sure there will be lots of tips for you alex thanks for squeezing in this conversation i know that you're going on holiday very soon how are you feeling it's a pleasure being here finally. I mean, I think we we also talked about the podcast and it was on the agenda to join you. So um, I'm actually happy that we can do this before I'm taking my time off. So that I'm still like in my day to day Berlin business <laughs> mindset. Alex, um, looking at your LinkedIn, it's it's a long resume, and um, you have work on for on different roles, different design roles for different companies. Um, just wanted to get executive summary of your background. Where did you start? How did yeah. you end up in such amazing uh, position right now? Yeah. I mean, I love to always uh, start this conversation saying that I'm a bit of a failed uh, architect <laughs> because that was where <laughs> I initially wanted to go to. Um I, I soon realized that I'm not very good at mathematics and that I'm not very good at like physics and calculating like what it needs for building to actually stand. Um, and that was where, I, I mean, for me, it was like, okay, what are the things that I actually like about like buildings, architecture, interior design and so on. And I figured that it was like the creative part. And that's where I then kind of went on to look of like, okay, what could I potentially do? considering uh, that I will not become an architect. And for me, then like drew me into um, graphic design, photography, video, and so on. And um, so I started like, like I did a school around uh, media design and multimedia design of a specialization in media design. I was always working during that time. So very early on, I started working um, mostly print at the time. Um, but I had some touch points here and there with web. And I think that was like what then got me into the whole world of, I, I, like I started working for an agency. We had our own products. So we had like booking software, CRM software. I was like, I mean, I'm from the North of Italy. So tourism is like really big and, uh, <laughs> you work with a lot of hotels. So having these, these tools in the box is quite useful. Uh, but that was where I learned how to actually like start thinking about like user needs and mm -hmm. user experience. Um, and from there, then it was like really just like, okay, I worked for one company, then for the other, um, I kind of collected different 
um, experiences, have seen different things. Along the way, I also always um, was lucky to to be given certain opportunities to either like like to both grow um, myself, but also to learn how to uh, work more with, let's say, the executive level. So quite early mm-hmm. when I was at sixth, when I quit, um, I ended up like in one of the strategy <laughs> projects of the company in the last three months that I was there. And I think those things helped me a lot to also understand, okay, um, I mean, I know company politics is a term that people don't like to use, mm-hmm. um, but it's, I use the term to say like, okay, you need to learn working with the stakeholders. You need to learn talking their language because that's what opens you the doors. I think that's mm-hmm. also what then brought me into more the managerial roles and the leadership mm-hmm. roles. Um, so for six, I moved to Berlin. So I had my first small leadership experience with some like, working students uh, working for me. Um, next step, uh, sum up where I then started like leading a small design team and fast forward four years, uh, a bit more than four years. I had like 50 people, uh, in my design organization. Um, wow. I think from there, I then made the switch a bit and, uh, I did a year of like consulting for yeah. a strategy consulting firm. So actually like really business, um, I mean, it was a little bit like going to business school, like <laughs> learning how to work in, in PowerPoint presentations and decks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, now, I mean, as you just opened, I'm uh, working for Moonfair, um, private equity investments, uh, quite interesting fields that I haven't, I didn't know a lot about before moving into yeah. it. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's exciting. How big is your team right now? Um, at the moment, we have 16, 18 people. Uh, some, wow. some are still about to join. And it was like one person one and a half years ago. Wow. So you went from one person to about 16, 18 now. Yes. That's the definition of fast-growing company. Um. I would say slightly different because like, I think at sum up, it was fast growing as a company. Um, at Moonfair, mm-hmm. it was a bit like we didn't have a design team, um, or mm-hmm. design wasn't really the priority. And, um, mm-hmm. I think for the company itself, like they knew, okay, we need to invest in user experience. That's what mm-hmm. makes or breaks a product, right? That's like how you mm-hmm. also position yourself on the market. Um, mm-hmm. so the company kind of made the decision of like, okay, we're going to hire someone, um, senior, um, to then build out the team. So I kind of had like sure. the greenfield cart to come in, hire the people that I want to work with, build my team. Um, and that's a little bit like why the design team has been growing so fast. The organization mm-hmm. itself wasn't like a times 16 growth. Um, so we were a little bit like the ones trying to catch up with the organization. Can you just like talk to me and talk to folks who listen to this about why UX uh, is so important for fintech platform? Yeah, I think it's, if it's a little bit like also the, the history of, of banking mm-hmm. and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think finances are usually quite 
difficult or complex. There's mm -hmm. a lot of, I mean, it's all very regulated. You have a lot of like contracts, paperwork, you need to read for a lot of things. Um, you need to sign a lot of things. So I think that the banking um, industry compared to a lot of other industries has been like moving slower. And once companies like N26, companies like Revolut, Monzo, Trade Republics, and so on kind of came in, it's like, okay, it's actually making it more accessible. It's making it easier to understand. I don't need to um, go through, I don't need to walk to a bank anymore and spend a lot of time opening a bank account. I can do mm -hmm. the things on my phone quickly mm -hmm. and so on. So I think that's what simplified banking and finances overall a little bit. Um, and the user experience is also extremely important because it is still a complex thing, right? I mean, especially sure. if we think about like investing or like even banking, right? Money trust, uh, like people trust you with a lot of money. Um, so you also need to make sure that like in the communication with the user, um, mm -hmm. you're very transparent. The user knows, always has the feeling of knowing what happens. Um, you communicate clearly also when things don't work, like error messages and so on, because when we're talking about money, um, it's just like very easy that then people also get like uh, very scared, right? Like imagine you're doing something on your bank account, uh, and suddenly there's nothing there. <laughs> like the, the page is not loading. I mean, I think it's, it, it, it gives an error message even more importance, right? Like e-commerce. Okay. You can come back, uh, banking, investing. It's a little bit more sensitive as a topic. And, um, I think to facilitate this, especially as it's moving more and more into the digital world, mm -hmm. user experience is just like critical. And because of that recognition within the Moonface executive team, you, you sort of like a very broad in to sort of um, take over and build the team. Yeah, I think that that was um, definitely, definitely the goal, right? And um, I mean, currently the design team and maybe that's also important to add um, from all the people. It's a little bit split. Um, so we have seven, eight, nine, nine people um, that are product designers. Then mm -hmm. we have like currently two people that are working on brand and communication design as well as like mm -hmm. video productions. Um, then we have the research team mm -hmm. and um, we also have uh, an, new role that we're adding to the mix. Uh, so we're still waiting for the person to join, um, content design, right. When it comes to UX writing, when it comes to information architecture and, um, how to present the content on our platform. So I've, I've got two questions out of this. I think, um, the first would be for all the other folks who product folks, design folks, that are managing teams. What kind of, I know I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> um, what kind of criteria or factors do folks need to pay attention to when they are putting together design teams? You know, mm -hmm. going, referring back to your experiences. Um, yeah. Yeah. Talk to me about this. Yeah. That's um, an interesting question. Uh, I think, Obviously, you want to have a good mix of skills. Um, mm -hmm. And I think you need to combine it with 
the right culture. And I think culture right. is probably the most important thing when, when trying to put together a design team and when hiring mm -hmm. uh, people, um, because that's where, I mean, I think it's easier to learn some hard skills than to get someone to change their, their mindset or, or their culture, their approach, right? Mm -hmm. You generally want to have people, um, in design that are curious, that want to learn, that want to try different things, um, that are able to a build empathy to users, especially mm -hmm. if it's like an audience group, that's not you. And when you're not designing for yourself, um, and so we said empathy <laughs> and, yeah. um, yeah, to then kind of also be open to, to test new solutions and to try mm. things out. Right. So I think having the right mindset is, is far more important. I think the worst thing that could happen is, um, if you hire someone who, um, is the opposite, right. Instead of like being curious and wanting to learn is like someone who actually thinks they know it all or that come in with a lot of like great solutions, but are not willing to discuss them. Right. At, the, at yeah. the end design is a role that needs to live with ambiguity and with input from a ton of different people. Like you need to be open to talk to the developer, to the product manager, to the stakeholder, um, a very broad range of people and to take yeah. that in to come up with the right solution. So I think like this, this curiosity uh -huh. is, is probably the most important thing. And it's actually even harder sometimes to find like really good seniors that still have this openness and curiosity yeah. than juniors, yeah. but it's then the balance yeah. of like, okay, I need certain skills. Um, I need a certain level of autonomy, especially when we talk about seniors, right? People that can navigate mm -hmm. the, the, the business that can navigate the stakeholders. Um, they can navigate also the, the company culture, um, while still having this, almost like young uh, mindset of uh, ex exploring the world. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's something that um, I resonate with that too. Between your words, you say something about that designers need to be able to communicate to different stakeholders. I think a great design is the result of many conversations. And as a great, as a designer who, who is not willing to, but some, some design, I mean, even I was at the point in my career, career that I would say to myself, to my colleagues, why do we need so many conversations? Let's just make a decision. <laughs> yeah. Uh, of course, conversation for the sake of conversation is waste of time, but necessary conversations are needed for a great design to realize. Yeah. And I mean, I think you're, you're pointing also, um, out something very interesting, right? Which is something that we see a lot also as companies grow. Mm. Um, the bigger the company, the harder it is to stay efficient and fast as you're sometimes are when you're small. And I think that's especially because conversations, um, and, or the points of alignment 
become more and more and more and more. Mm -hmm. And I mean, aligning between three people, you can easily have a lot of like good conversations. If you suddenly Mm -hmm. have like 50 stakeholders, Mm -hmm. um, it gets a little bit more complicated, but Mm-hmm. I mean, as, as you said, right. I think the worst is to say, okay, no, what, why, why do we need this? I, I know this, this works, right. Because you need to get people's buy-in, um, mm. you need to get them involved. And I think also from all these conversations, there is so much value that you can draw. Mm-hmm. And is it the engineer? Is it the person in customer support? Is it the managing director and so on, um, they all can give extremely good input. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's the designer's job to then abstract that mm-hmm. and to understand, okay, um, I've just been communicated a feature <laughs> or a solution that I need to build. What is actually the problem behind it? Or, or um, what is there that I can use to, to kind of kickstart my exploration and mm-hmm. come up with, with the best solution for it? Um, but the the input is is always important. Hundred percent. So openness to new things. You need to be able to learn new things. Mm-hmm. Having empathy. I'm really happy that you brought in because <laughs> um, it's really difficult to work in a team without having empathy for your team members, without having empathy for your customers. Yeah. You know. Um, you know. If you don't have the empathy for your team members and they're not having a good day, it's on you. It's not on them. I mean, of course, they need to communicate. That's of course. But yeah. again, well, you know, as as a professional, you want to sort of like have an understanding of what's going on in your environment too. Yeah. Right. And I think even I mean now we're we're working in a world where teams are getting more and more international. Um, I mean most of my team was like hired all over the world and we kind of relocated everyone to to Berlin. And I think that's also where we're talking about a lot of like cultural differences and different ways of communicating. So I think like even there, the empathy can be of extreme help um, to to, to adjust to that and uh, to communicate properly with everyone. So you, your team is multinational. Yes. Wow. We have, Can you tell out of many? We have everything from Australia to the US, Mexico, uh, India, Nigeria, Sweden. I don't know. We have, we have pretty much people from everywhere. Wow. Yeah. It's definitely for such an environment, especially people coming together from different culture. Having that empathy is very important mm-hmm. to be able to lead those conversations that's necessary to uh, ship a great design. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so crazy how also the, the working styles change across different cultures. And uh, mm. I mean, I think I can only recommend the book uh, Culture Map, um, which is really an eye, an eye opener on like understanding some of the nuances or understanding also why w- the collaboration with certain people is in a specific way. Um, and often the, the, the culture really plays a big role and uh, reading through these things also helps you 
understand these things and see them in in the real world um, work and collaboration. So um, I want to stay there where I want I want you to keep your design management hat on because I think there is a lot of insight we can get from that. What's your um, idea? What's your thoughts on the range between? What's the what's the ideal range between having juniors and seniors in the team? Um, so I think as a, as I mentioned earlier, right? Um, juniors sometimes have this uh, beauty of being a little bit more open and uh, yeah. almost like a raw diamond that you can still sharpen on, mm-hmm. on the different mm-hmm. edges. Um, while a senior has a little bit more the advantage of having been in many situations mm-hmm. already and uh, mm-hmm. is simply able to, to reference back and to navigate the business a little bit better because they know, okay, um, when shit really hits the fan, uh, how, how to approach it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it, it needs a bit of a good mix. Um, I mean, when we hired the team at Moonfair, we focused initially on senior designers because the mm-hmm. team was very small. Um, and therefore the focus for me was on the hiring side. For me, it was like on like really the foundational uh, side of implementing basic structures, um, getting also the idea of design into the um, company. And I think there starting with junior designers um, would have kind of also come with a lot of overhead and actually like, mentoring them, guiding them, uh, and working with them. Right. So I think, um, the approach for us was like, really, okay, we need to start with some senior people that can like really hit the ball running and work independently and, um, support also multiple teams because like at the time we had something like 10 product teams, um, mm-hmm. and only one designer. So until we would kind of get to a point where we had, um, cross-functional teams with dedicated designers. We needed someone who's actually also able to balance the workloads across the teams. Mm-hmm. And only when we got to the point of like, okay, we feel like kind of stable and mm-hmm. uh, we have, we have a range of like good people. Um, then we started actually um, investing more in, in the mid-level and the junior designer um, all the way to now uh, having our first uh, associates or like intern that's now converting to, to becoming uh, a full-time designer. Right. And I think those, those are then actually also the nice ways because um, you, you have, again, as I mentioned, you, you can shape also uh, those, those profiles and uh, teach them the right things. Got it. One side of your job is to, work with your design team, manage them, sort of like, not manage them, but basically I don't want to use so much manage the term manage anymore because who am I to manage someone else? Basically being a leader and say, Hey, we got to go this direction and aligning the team around it. This side of your work. The other side, I think that I would like to tap into is managing stakeholder expectations aligning on the vision strategy of the product of you know brand what have you mm-hmm. so and it's something that side of your work is something that uh, your design team may not have enough visibility right and i think 
sort of sometimes there is a disconnect between what designers understand about the role of the VP of design, the, mm-hmm. you know, the lead design, and what actually the lead designer does, mm-hmm. right? So if you want to break down sort of like your role on the other side, what you, and I could assume that you, you may be in some like long, frustrating conversation, but just like to help younger designers to build empathy towards their design leads. Yeah. Uh, how does it look like on the other side of the wall? It doesn't look like uh, the normal design work. <laughs> <laughs> I think where where designers are usually in Figma or, I mean, now, now Adobe. Um, generally Adobe they, Figma? They, <laughs> yes, Adobe Figma, if it doesn't crash. Um, <laughs> I think it's, it starts shifting. It becomes a little bit more, okay, you spend a lot of time in your email program. You spend a lot of time in spreadsheets. You spend mm-hmm. a lot of time in presentations. Um, mm-hmm. You spend a lot of time in calls. I mean, my probably my average hour spent in meetings on a normal week is, um, if I recall correctly, 30 six hours. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can imagine that there, there is also not so much, um, time left. And mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's, there's multiple things that fall into this. Right. Um, and I can also kind of connect a little bit to, to our recent, recent, um, experience uh, that we have in our team. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. I think we, we talked about alignment. Alignment is extremely important. Um, so I think over the last couple of months, I together, like with, um, the, the rest of the leadership, like with, uh, our VPN product, uh, VP of marketing and data, um, we spend a lot of time on processes, on the OKR, on actual goal setting, um, on alignments also with people outside of our direct like leadership group, the, the R and D team, but like working more with the broader, um, organization. Everyone has priorities, but you need to make sure you get them aligned with one, two, three main business objectives, right? Mm-hmm. So that everyone runs in the same direction. I think the worst is if there is just like a ton of like different directions coming from all the different departments and you have designers that then need to kind of figure out what to do or they don't have yeah. the time to like really focus on, on the work that they want to do. So, um, I would say a lot of the time really goes into these, okay, how do I prepare and make sure, um, that the design team can actually work efficiently and how do I work with all the different stakeholders? How do, do I make sure that we're aligned on what's happening and how do I make sure that I, also create a space where the designers can be um, proactive, right? Where the designers mm-hmm. can then come up and influence the overall company strategy. Because what you also want to avoid is to have like a top-down, okay, mm-hmm. uh, management has decided what needs uh, what needs to be built and now we're doing it. No, it's, it's actually quite the opposite, right? Like mm-hmm. most of the time is how can we really make sure that we give very clear direction that we create transparency around what's happening in our business. Mm-hmm. Why do we need to do certain things and mm-hmm. then give the team the freedom to work? 
Um, and I think, I mean, in, in our setup, I have like two um, product design managers that then work with the feature teams, um, mm -hmm. both amazing people. Um, mm -hmm. And one is like really then working with the feature teams of the end-to-end -end customer journey mm -hmm. um, and making sure that they are also aligned across the different teams. Um, and um, the other designer, Bianca, she's um, mostly working on the design ops side, um, working on our own processes, working on the design system um, with a small team. And um, yeah, so I think that's that's then creating a little bit this this whole balance of okay, um, I'm obviously relying a lot on the informations and on everything that's happening in the teams, um, mm -hmm. so that I can then try and navigate um, the the rest of the organization and give share the feedback back so that everyone is aware of why the things happening. And I think yeah. transparency is one of the most critical points and. Uh, we just we just introduced uh, going back to the office as a as a policy, which, uh, as you can imagine, isn't the the, the wow. favorite conversation. Um, but I think if if you manage to also clearly communicate why we're doing it um, mm -hmm. and why we want to do that, which has really to do with uh, increasing again more the collaboration having face-to-face -face time and we're mm -hmm. not going to back to the office every day right uh, it's it's just like to really make sure okay we actually have the face time mm -hmm. um if if we need to run a workshop um not having to organize around 20 different people's uh, remote working schedules where mm -hmm. you're simply not possible where it's simply not possible to problem solve in person and i think that was what we wanted to prioritize as a company and it's not the most popular decision, but I feel like the, like with a lot of transparency and with also including the team, uh, early in the process, why we're discussing these things, why we want to do these things. This helped a lot to also get, keep the team morale, um, at the, at, at the right level. And, um, I think it's if if you would just like walk in with with a hammer and be like okay boom that's that's <laughs> what we do management decided um then it's probably not going to work so well so you sort of adopt the hybrid model of being i mean we works. we were hybrid before but now it's like more like okay um we try to have specific days for the different teams mm -hmm. that are also aligned with the stakeholders um, when mm -hmm. they're in the office so that we can kind of recreate a little bit the, um, oh yeah, true, I need to ask this guy a question, uh, kind mm -hmm. of <laughs> working mentality that, mm -hmm. that I feel like a lot of junior people are not even used to anymore. I mean, there are so many people who started working over the last two years where mm -hmm. everything has been due to COVID home office. Um, it's actually quite, quite interesting, right? Because like, I mean, the old guys, I mean, I would say <laughs> we've, we spend enough time in, in, in the industry in the to, to like really have been in the office from nine to nine to five. Well, that's a luxury yeah. from a nine to open end. <laughs> No, there's definitely a lost ROI on going full remote. Mm. Um, and also going, there are some loose um, hybrid model 
of, of, of work. Also, definitely there's a loss ROI in terms of collaboration and team effect, yeah. effectivity. Uh, you know, um, you know, even just sitting, you know, as, you know, your, your, your junior team, people who are folks that are, who are less experienced, but just sitting next to someone that is experienced, uh, by, they learn a lot from the way they, they sit, the way they work, the way they like, you know, go around. I think, yeah. I think in terms of personal development, because, you know, there is, especially in our line of work, you know, it says something really nicely that, you know, your, your work is not actually in Figma, it's, it's somewhere else, right? Um, there is the conversation, collaboration, co-creation is a huge part of a designer. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you, just, and you just cannot substitute it with Figma. You can, you, I mean, yes, I, I agree. I mean, I'm also in favor of our new policy. I, I think there is a way um, of substituting it with Figma if you really, really, really embody a remote culture. Mm-hmm. And there are some great companies out there where everyone's remote. Everyone's mm-hmm. wherever and they kind of manage to recreate this physical collaboration by bringing it into the digital world. Is it, oh, they have like, they record short loom videos that they show whenever they need to talk about something. They really use uh, Slack in the proper way and so on. But I think with the hybrid companies, it easily starts like to break because you have some people who have physical interactions, mm-hmm. others don't. It, you might have like then some silos creating between the people that are physically in the office and the people that are working remote um, or even within the teams, right? I think um, the power of having a product manager, an engineer and a designer at the same table and being able to just like look over the shoulder and be like, okay, hey, check this out. Um, you lose that. And I think with the digital, like the barrier also of sending a quick draft to someone via Slack or an email is way higher than just having someone sitting next door and say, Hey, what do you think about it? Because Uh mentally, like it's like, you're submitting something, you're sending something you need to already start adding context of where do we stand with this? What, where is this project? So, Uh I mean, I think both can work. Um, It's like really down to also, the culture that you want or the culture that you're looking for and how you're hiring the people. Because if you want to have fully remote company, you need to hire people that have the full remote mindset um, where they've used to it, where they've, where they really embody it. And um, if that's not what you're looking for, you easily might also find someone who's simply not the best person to work alone on their own all the time because they might Mm -hmm. not be organizing themselves so well they might get easily distracted because they have to clean their apartment Mm -hmm. there is there's a lot of variables right so i think it's i mean at the end it also comes a little bit down to what we discussed earlier around hiring and hiring the people with the right culture for what you need Mm -hmm. exactly Mm. so you, you just staying with the example to announce that, okay, we are going to um, go back to the offices in a uh, hybrid uh, format. 
Um, and you said that you tried to break down why we are going back. Yeah. Um, what was the feedback you got from the teams? So I think especially in the design team, um, we have already always been discussing a lot the importance of collaboration and mm. the importance of, for some topics, being able to spend time together, to spend time together mm -hmm. on a whiteboard or to sit next to each other and be able to talk about it. Um, so I think the feedback was surprisingly good. There haven't been like any... Um, red flags or, or people like, uh, leaving, uh, the door screaming. <laughs> um, but, but I think that's, that's again, back to this, this transparency aspect, right. And I think, um, the, the overall main company communication was probably a little bit harder, um, mm. where there have been a lot of, of questions that we then kind of had to address like afterwards, so I think yeah. it's, it's like really a topic that's very hard to nail and it really comes down to also, okay, um, the, the pre-wiring of, of the whole communication, right? And I think some teams uh, probably never had the conversation of, of coming back to the office or how to yeah. collaborate. Um, and for those teams, the conversations have definitely been harder. So I think like I've been a little bit in a, uh, good <laughs> position where I, I, I hadn't to go through for a lot of hard uh, Q&As with my team. Fantastic. That's actually really important. If you hire the people that you want to be surrendered with, you would spend less time explaining your decisions because they probably would understand where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So product versus design strategy. You spend a lot of time coordinating, managing, you know, just sort of aligning on um, the overall business, product, design strategy. Mm -hmm. How would you go about this? You know, um, it's an open-ended question. So I would just like to get, get your thoughts on this. I mean, I would start it bold and would say um, product and design strategy should pretty much be the same. <laughs> mm -hmm. I agree. I think... I think um, you you cannot have a two different things in place. You cannot have like a product strategy and a design strategy that is not aligned. Um, I think in general, what where it all starts is you need to have a vision of where you want to go to. Yeah, you need to kind of establish that, taking into consideration all the business aspects as well, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. the company vision, which is like even one level higher, mostly yeah. also consumer centric like it's often used also in marketing i think from there you need to say okay where where do we want to have the product in a couple of years from now mm -hmm. and once you know that you can kind of talk about the strategy which is like really more the steps on how to get there mm -hmm. um and you need to take different things into consideration and design is obviously the function that's very close to the user that's very close to research so um of course it's very important to build your strategy also on top of the knowledge that you have around the users of what works what doesn't work where do we need to go um what are the different inputs um competition and observing mm -hmm. the market is also very important right and i think mm -hmm. that's also where 
there is an aspect from design, but there's a big aspect also from product coming into that and from the rest of the business where you kind of need to combine um, the the different informations to then like really come up with, okay, what are the things, like where do we need to put the focus? What are the things that we need to also further discover and learn about? What are the big problems that we have that we need to solve mm -hmm. in order to reach that vision that we set at the beginning? Um, and for me, that then formulates the vision. I mean, I, it would, I would usually call it as product vision, um, mm -hmm. because it's, it's, it makes it more holistic. It doesn't make it look like, okay, it's just like the designer's thing. Um, and I think that's then where, where you can start working off of that and where then obviously like each team also on their own kind of needs to have also their own um, strategy and, and roadmap in place to, to work towards that vision. So basically the way you see it is like, okay, uh, you don't see a difference between design strategies and product strategies all under one umbrella. Yeah. And then, okay, for, for example, if we realize that for the, building a new platform, we would need to set up a, a comprehensive, comprehensive design system that would fall under, a, you know, a, that would be labeled as a design strategy that needs to be implemented to be able to realize Correct. that broader product vision. Yeah. But I think it's yeah. like, like even there, if the product strategy doesn't include, okay, we need to build a design system, mm -hmm. your designers will have a very hard time building it because at the end you need the engineers, yeah. you need the product managers. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. That's why I love putting these things into one bucket. And I think that's also back to, um, I think the facilitation of like making sure that there is the space for design, um, co-living and existing within product or with product, right? Because I think um, the two functions are, are like really on the same level sparing with each other, right? Where we need to combine, okay, what is our design strategy, UX strategy with the product? Mm -hmm. If you create them in isolation and you say, okay, like you can have a beautiful design uh, strategy or vision in place. If product is working in a different direction, you probably won't build it. Um, so, it, it needs to kind of be incorporated. And um, we also do our OKRs combined as a, like a research and development organization um, to make sure that there, that, that whatever we set as a goal and as a priority of, from a company perspective that we want to work towards to, that it is aligned between uh, the different functions. Otherwise you easily end up in a dysfunctional organization where Two people are doing two different things, uh, working in opposite directions, and that causes frustration. That causes uh, uh, inefficiencies, and that's very bad for the organization. The, the way that you portray it, that hey, as a design team, you want your strategy to be part of product strategy at large, because at the end of the day, you would need developers for every initiative that you have. Yes. And that actually makes sense to me. You know, why do you want? Because there's always this, you know, LinkedIn talks and like these Twitter fights and, this, hey, what's the dif what's the difference between product versus design strategy? And I always was like, is there a difference really? It's like if you don't have a design system, you really cannot build your products on, on different platforms. It just goes hand in hand. I mean, I really don't know, don't see the difference between the two. I mean, if you say okay, part of our part of our uh, 
design a strategy to conduct, you know, I don't know, in terms of OKRs and, you know, measurable, you know, metrics is like, we want to conduct 50 interviews per, per month. That's, that's mm-hmm. the metric we want to keep on. Uh, but again, where, why do you want to do that? Like they're got, it needs to meet a product yeah. strategy, a product objective or business objective that you're trying to meet. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, of course you, if you break down also OKRs more and more, right, you end up having um, certain design specific topics, right? Like when, mm-hmm. when we really talk about, okay, how do we, um, how do we document our own process and so on? Okay. That's, that's for the design team. Like there is a lot mm-hmm. of like also design ops topics in there, um, that we would have on the, on, on our OKRs that don't need to be aligned, um, or where, where we don't necessarily need to make sure that everyone else in the organization is aware of them. Um, I think the important thing is like, actually when, whenever you touch product and you need engineers, and um, it affects the, or it affects, or it comes from the overall business strategy, then you need to have like really strong alignment. Um, otherwise the designers will also easily become more of an executional function or yeah. you will have a lot of conflicts of, okay, why are we doing this, not doing that and so on and so forth, right? If, if the design team has different overall objectives than the rest of the organization, they either fight mm-hmm. <laughs> to make it happen or they're frustrated because it's not happening. So, but in general, like I, I have a very loose definition of design and product management, because for me, those, those function can only work together and they share pretty much all the responsibilities. They all have different tools and different skills um, that have facilitated role. But at the end, it's like that pair together with the engineering manager and so on that really need to um, run the ship and run the organization. And that's then also where you can give the teams more ownership and ownership mm-hmm. um, to to be effective on their own. Do you have these terriers like design, product, tech for your teams? Yes, correct. We have, oh, that. Okay. We have that in every team. We actually, uh, I mentioned that we had a lot of like product teams. Um, we now kind of group them a little bit together um, to mm-hmm. have clear ownership and um, like really always the, the triad or trial um, for each team to to own one part of the product. That's, that's pretty much it. I mean, we did introduce a, a funky new um role or, I mean, it's not even a role or title. It's more like an additional responsibility. Um, I tried to Google it. There's one company that also calls it like that, <laughs> but we have uh, journey owners. So oh. the way um, that is structured is that, um, I mean, we have different user types, um, not in terms of personas, but like really, I mean, we're serving uh, B2C, but mm-hmm. we're also serving um, B2B, um, B2B2C, and we have our internal users. And because each feature team itself works across the different areas, right? Like if you work on onboarding, um, you work on the onboarding for 
the B2C customer, but you also yeah. work on the backend for the admin. Um, and you also work on the aspect of, okay, how do B2B asset managers, right? Like the account managers of the company um, that then sells to their clients, how do they follow the process? And so what we kind of try to implement now or what we're currently implementing is that there is an owner for each journey. There is a journey for the investor. There is a journey for the um, for the financial advisor, and there is a journey for the internal users. So that while the teams are working on the features, there is one single person to make sure that we have a consistent user experience end to end, um, and to make sure to then align the teams of okay, what needs to happen in each step. It's it's a little bit like. You could you could see it similar to program managers on um, on product side, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, so it's it's kind of an extra task that uh, three people in the team are tasked with to then and holistically the look at it. The tension that you were trying to resolve because by introducing journey owners is that there are processes that have to serve multiple personas and. If a product team working on a future that could impact the process without considering um, how the new future would impact the other uh, user types, that would cause unpredictable consequences. Yeah. And it, Mm. it also helps to keep, like, to give the feature team, like, really clear ownership without forgetting about the holistic user journey. Mm-hmm. Because I think, um, I mean, you, you can look at massive organizations, right? Mm-hmm. Take, let's, let's take the example probably everyone is familiar with, um, Facebook. Um, Facebook has so many autonomous feature teams that unfortunately not always align perfectly that depending on where you look in the app, the same journey or the same task can look very different. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where then suddenly you, I mean, you have multiple apps that all have like a different visual style, but like also experience itself and use different patterns um, from messages to the main Facebook app to ooh, Facebook business. Uh, I mean, everyone who has ever run an ad on Facebook knows how beautiful um, that that experience is and how inconsistent this to the rest of the the features that you've probably used in other parts of the journey. So I think it's it's a really goal of like, okay, I want to have teams being able to run on the decisions on what they're going to focus on next, but someone who's like tasked with looking at one end-to-end journey okay, we're building this on one end. How does it affect every other piece in the chain? Or what do we need to consider because of every other piece in the chain in order Mm -hmm. to make this successful within the team? So it's like really, it's again down to alignment. Uh, I think the (laughs) the conclusion of this talk is that we we are, I'm I'm very in love with alignment. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. Um, You're laying out a beautiful team architecture and I'm really impressed that you already think at this level that we need to have journey owners sort of sounds like a bit similar to product owners but sort of like for the experience 
because product looks in the tech as well, you know, the, yeah. the ticket, da, 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 da. but this is more like, okay, we need to focus on the overall experience and make sure that it's consistent across user types. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's see how it turns out, right? I, I don't really have a lot of like historical <laughs> points to, to justify or validate uh, if the position works. But how do you, so just like, I want to like, you're probably at the position that you have to make a lot of decisions and mistakes is byproduct of making decisions. 100%, right? So how do you go about setting up new initiatives? Um, how do you go about, especially if your team, um, people, folks in your team make mistakes, how do you go about like sort of like setting the, the, the language, the, the, the culture for experimentation and potentially making mistakes. Yeah. I mean, I think especially in design um, where we need to live with a lot of ambiguity, mm -hmm. mistakes are part of the everyday job, right? I think mm -hmm. the second a designer thinks um, they're not making this mistakes, and that's always interesting also in, in interviews when you talk to people who never made a mistake. Um, <laughs> <laughs> then, then you have, then you have a bit of a problem, right? Because like either you're playing it too safe, um, or you're not admitting the mistake itself. Um, and I think mm -hmm. a lot of times, right, we need to try and come up with solutions that we then mm -hmm. need to validate. Right. So, I mean, the nature of, this validation of the solution means that there's a potential that's not the right one and that you uh -huh. then have to go back to the drawing board. So I think, I mean, it is important to have a bit of a culture where failure is okay. Um, uh -huh. Ideally in the wider organization, not only in the design team, right? Because uh -huh. I think obviously it also has an effect of how are other people's mistake treated outside of the design team. Um, but I think implementing this culture is important and it also starts with the leadership, right? Um, I make mistakes. Uh, I've made many of them. Uh, there's many times where I don't know what the right decision is. Mm -hmm. Um, I can openly admit it. I can take also when needed. I like, sometimes we need to take decisions, um, where we're not 100% confident, but then I'm also like super transparent about the fact that it might be a mistake, right? We, we won't know. And ideally you have a process to validate. Ideally you have a process to gather a lot of like information that can help you get more confident in the process and research and prototyping and testing and so on all plays into this. And it's extremely important. Um, but mistakes are important. And I think if there, if there is no mistakes there, then there's, it's probably important to look into why we're not making mistakes. Is it because we're hiding it? Yeah. Uh, is it because we're not trying enough? Is it mm -hmm. um, because we're not tracking enough? Could also be right. Like maybe you're, you're launching things and you're not validating or checking or testing it. So you also don't know if you're making a mistake. Um, and I think being, being open, and I think that comes all the way back to our initial conversation um, for, for hiring the right people. Um, you need to be open to listen to someone else's input, ideas, mm -hmm. feedback. 
you need to be willing to make mistakes. If someone else has an idea and he's not a designer, it doesn't mean that your idea is automatically the right one and he's automatically wrong, right? It could be uh -huh. that he's wrong, right? So, um, so that he's right and that you're wrong. So I think uh -huh. you, you kind of need to have this, this willingness to say, okay, I'm, I'm not sure what the right thing is, but that's design, yeah. right? Like we're never, you can never be 100% sure at the beginning. I told my team that there is no right and wrong. There is only feedback. Just, That's a very good more, way to say just, it. Yeah. Just gather more feedback. Yeah. And I think feedback has now this, uh, is this other big bubble, right? <laughs> of how should feedback be, right? Mm -hmm. Feedback can be very mm. personal and uh, mm. subjective. People, feedback can be very objective. Um, I think like also there, it's always important to train people on how to give feedback or critique design, especially, um, it's important to a, whenever you give feedback, understand why certain things have been done. Um, but B also give feedback with the right context and, mm -hmm. um, that, that fits the right stage. Right. I think. How would, how would younger design folks should face their mistakes and communicate you know for example let's just give me put you a yeah. scenario you're you you are it's it's before a busy season so and you are trying to update your onboarding processes and one of the design team that they were working on the project they made a mistake then the, for example they didn't spend enough time in r&d and understanding the needs and they end up designing something that is not, you know, uh, delivering on the promise in terms of performance. Yeah. How should they, because obviously they, they made a mistake. They let the business fail, let's say. Yeah. How, how would you expect them to come out and like, sort of like communicate their mistakes to the, to the team, especially their direct teams? Yeah. You know, um, what's a healthy way of um, talking about your mistake, admitting your mistakes and sort of like, I've done this, here's the thing. Da, da, da. That's a nice question. I think the important part um, coming from us saying that, that mistakes are, are part of the job. Um, I think when you, when you make a mistake, it's always it is always important that you learn something from it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, I mean, with the example that you made, it could be, um, okay, we skipped this and that part of the process. Um, I figure now after making the mistake next time, this is actually something that we need to spend more time on to avoid mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think like I, ideally there is always a learning and I think ideally there is always a reflection from the mistake. And I think if, if that's something you can present, um, that's totally fine because a, okay, I can now check if you're learning from your mistakes and if you're making them again, the second and first time mistakes when they are the same is not as good as like the first time one. Mm -hmm. Um, B, we can also like try thinking on how to fix it, right? So um, I think that's as as long as there there is reflection and as long as there is also communication, um, mm -hmm. then that's fine. 
And I mean, I think like even, even in, in the process, maybe one of the learnings is okay. We actually didn't follow the right feedback process. Maybe some things could have been fixed in the feedback process. Um, but it can go all the way down to, okay, maybe I gave feedback um, to go in a direction and that's the, the wrong direction. And then, mm-hmm. well, I take the, like, I also need to take the credit for that. Um, so I think it's, it needs to be a healthy learning process mm-hmm. and then you can, you can own every mistake, right? And there is no stupid mistakes as long as you don't make them three times in a row. Yeah. That's what it that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, no, that, that gets annoying because one time, or maybe especially for difficult problems, yeah. difficult, you know, parts of the process is very complex. You don't expect people to, I mean, if they get it right in the first try, fantastic, yeah. well done. But I mean, always second is, um, is inevitable. But yeah. if, again, the third time, the same way you're making the mistake again, yeah, wow. no, fully. And, and maybe it's also worth like reiterating on, on a mistake, right? Because I think one thing that is important to also understand is that in the discovery process or in the mm-hmm. solutionizing process, when you come up with different solutions and one doesn't work, that's not a mistake, right? Because mm-hmm. that's you actually, you need to, come up with as many ideas as possible to say, okay, we found 10 ideas, nine out of 10 are not the right one. The 10th one is the right one, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Even if we think, I mean, let's, let's go textbook um, design sprints and we do some crazy aids, just get like ideas out of the door um, and think about it. So I think like the, the ideation and coming up with solutions that you then dismiss, that's not a mistake. Actually, yeah. you need to be Learn. very comfortable with like making, uh, like fu- testing things that you can let go. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think that's, that's just like to, to reiterate that obviously like mistakes are also part of it, right? Or not, you won't always nail it. Uh, I wouldn't see that as a mistake, but then when you, as you said, you launch something, um, because you skipped one part of the process uh, because you um, maybe felt comfortable enough or had a, felt like you had enough evidence or you tested it with the wrong people um, and then it goes completely in the wrong direction, then you need to roll back. And I think that's then where you need to also own the mistake, say, okay, I've made a mistake mm-hmm. and don't fall into the track of sunken cost of trying to keep something alive that isn't working because you don't want to admit that what you've built isn't the right thing. How often do you reflect on, on your um, design process from um, ideation, discovery to testing? And is this something that uh, design leaders especially taken into account? Yeah. I mean, I think it's one of the key things, right. For a design team to have a proper process. Um, I do think that the real there doesn't need to necessarily be reinvented. Um, but I think the process also needs to be very flexible, right. Depending Mm -hmm. on the project, depending on the team, you should never have like the strict process of, 
okay, I need to follow every single step. Um, but, and, and I think that with the flexibility where it is important to reflect and to really look into it <clears throat> is, okay, what, like for a specific project or for a specific feature that we're working on, what is the information that we have, what still needs to be done. And mm -hmm. you constantly need to adjust the process to the problem at hand. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's more of the reflection on it and of the work that, that needs to happen. But that's for every designer, um, not only on, on a leadership level. I think on a leadership level, it's more important um, to make sure to create an environment where processes can be followed. Um, mm. And we've probably all been there or we all know someone who has been there um, where the designers are the ones who draw the UI um, and there isn't a space for actual discovery and so on and so forth. And then it doesn't matter if the design team has a great process and if they know mm. um, theoretically how to solve it, um, if the company doesn't, allow for that right or if the product organization doesn't allow for that so i think that's that's then again like we're on different levels you a need to make sure okay there is a process it is mm -hmm. um, we we enable people to follow the process we educate stakeholders um on the timelines also of the process with the time there will be examples that we can showcase to also show the success and the, the benefit of following a process. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's, that's like more again, the, on a, on a higher level, the work that is important to be done. Um, but each designer constantly needs to reflect on the process on their process. Um, and it's also part of the critiques and of the feedback when you work with a different yeah. team. Um, it's very easy in your day-to-day -day work to forget about something and to just don't do it. I like it. So sort of like a, the leaders needs to sort of needs to set up a process that is action that is workable. People can work with it, and people like and then designers, especially designers and product people, need to look at the process as a north star so to speak and they need to sort of see okay what is what i am working on what has been done maybe for this project i need to invest a bit more on research because it hasn't mm -hmm. done hasn't been done before and some other teams already work on a lot of exploration so I, my job would be through the research to validate it so less ideation more research and validation yes correct i would say that's that's a good balance what you're describing mm -hmm. Alex, you hire a lot of people. Um, you talk to a lot of designers. So I think I would love to end our episode with advices for up-and-coming designers. I don't want to call them juniors. And more experienced designers that are looking to level up to senior executive roles. Like, mm -hmm. what would be your, you know, in 2022, we are sort of like bridging to... 2023 what would you advise what would you advise them on each the less experienced folks and more like the other one as well the executive yeah. ones yeah. yeah um i mean starting with one thing that applies for for everyone i think learning the language of the business and mm -hmm. learning the communication with other stakeholders as well 
um, <clears throat> is definitely the one important thing, right? It can help you as a junior, but it will also help you more and more in the future um, as as you grow, right? Because I think, um, again, being able to and it's this, it's, I think it's this thing where I often hear people like asking for the seat at the table. Um, I think even if you get the seat of, at the table, even if someone comes in and gives you that seat, if you don't know how to communicate with your stakeholders, which to some extent are also like your users, then as a design leader, um, mm-hmm. then you will simply not be successful, right? Because it doesn't matter where you, where you sit or what access to meetings you have. You need to be able to communicate um, with everyone at every level of the company. Executive mm-hmm. communication, extremely important. Uh, being able to talk to someone who has a sales mindset, a business mindset, an engineering mm-hmm. mindset. That is kind of the, the crucial um, part of the designer's work. Then there obviously comes the craft level. Like you need to know your craft. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that you learn at the job. That's something that you learn um, at school. That's something that you learn by being curious, looking at many different pro- products, analyzing also many different products. I think there's so much power also behind like looking at the um, apps that you use on a daily basis and trying to understand, okay, why are the things the way they are? What is mm-hmm. what could the underlying problem be that they're trying to solve with that? And why is it not different? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those things then help you level up your skills. Um, and I think finally, one thing um, that I would mention here, because it easily gets kind of forgotten uh, in, in, in these conversations, it's, it's also not that everyone... <clears throat> needs to become a manager or uh-huh. that everyone needs to go the, 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 the route of, okay, I need to come into executive roles. And, and I'm actually happy to see that more and more um, people start getting staff roles, people start getting principal roles and so on. Um, so I think if, if depending on where, like where your focus is and where you feel most comfortable with, you can also like really focus on the skills, focus on, a very specific area of, of design and level up there without having to go into management. Because I think um, management always sounds cool. Um, but as, as we were also saying, right, it's, it's a very different job. If you love spending time mm-hmm. in, in Figma <laughs> um, getting your hands into problems, then you probably don't love being in spreadsheets, doing a lot of one-on-ones, having a lot of like, people development conversations, um, mm-hmm. career progression conversations, uh, budgeting meetings and so on. Right. So I think there it's, it's, it, I'm happy to see that there is like companies now offering the two roles. Like we, we also, um, now have like a full staff principal and senior principal, uh, ladder for both design engineering and product with the same salary levels. So if you're a manager or a staff, if you're a director or principal, you get the same money. Um, and I think that's, that's just like a nice development, right? Because yeah. it far too often happens that people who are extremely skilled, who don't enjoy the yeah. managing career, end up doing it because it's the only path forward. 
but then they are not happy in their role um, and also not at the performance what it would be if they would continue as an individual contributor. 100%. Without the staff, staff, staff role, the, the director cannot exist. It's just, a, it's just a marriage that needs to be in there. Correct. Alex, this has been amazing. Thanks a lot. Um, I cannot thank you enough. Whenever we have a conversation, you offer, I really appreciate that you always talk from experience rather than um, speculating or um, theorizing. I really appreciate that. Uh, any last words? All right. It was amazing joining in this call. Um, thanks for having me. It was also interesting where the conversation took us. Um, yeah. So I, I really enjoyed it. And either over coffee in a non-recorded style or in a future recorded style, I'm sure we will continue the conversation. I would love that. Thank you very much. Awesome. Ciao. Bye-bye.